All right, recording. Hi. Hi. Hey, Rachel. Good morning. Good morning. Well, kind of good morning. It's always a good morning, right? Trying to be positive. It, <laughs> it is a good morning, and I I always take good things from anything. So, but I feel like a lot of people are having a morning today, and in in some seriously not good ways, and in some small not good ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've got the small, not good ways going on. My my stomach's been a little upset. So if I'm suddenly like, hey, be right back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? This is real life. This is yeah. how this is how you move through and navigate through the whole self instead of just the fake pretend self. So I think that's wonderful. No worries. If you need to take a moment, take a moment. Thank you. Thank you. This is, we're just going to like, keep it really raw today, you know, Um, which is, you know, why why I do this. Um, So, and uh, what, what's going on with your morning? You want to share? Sure. Yes. I, I recently relocated to San Diego, as many people know, and I, I'm in a roommating situation that is not working out. So instead of whining about it, I decided this morning that um, I've only been here 30 days and I was thinking, you know, why would I limit myself? Why would I choose to live in an environment that wasn't as advertised and as committed to? And I have zero uh, excuses to not make a choice. So I choose no more. So I I went into that energetically. So I feel very empowered and good about that. I'm using my frustration to, you know, turn it into, channel it into something good, something action to make the change. And then on my way here, and I'm really glad I was in that mindset already. And I was consciously saying, okay, we're not going to be upset. We're not going to complain. We're, we're going to do what we need to do. I have this podcast. I want to be on here. I'm going to move locations so that it's a quiet, respectful place. And um, on my way here, I saw a horrendous accident, absolutely horrendous. They have the ramp closed down. And I was just thinking, my God, you know, this is the third accident I've seen in the last week on the opposite side of where I was coming or where I was just about to be or where I just had been. And it's just continuously reminding me, we just never, we never freaking know. So not to live wildly like, oh, I'm going to go do all these crazy, insane life risking things, but I choose to live intentionally and deeply every day. And by, you know, for example, for me residing or choosing to reside in a place where it's not welcoming and the energy isn't meshing uh, is not worth one more day of my life Mm. when it could be just like that. Right. I mean, I could see what had probably happened and somebody wasn't looking Yeah. and yeah that's a heavy thing to see but then to like well and then to process it like that is such a gift I, I had chills when you were describing it because I like you know when you go through something or see something like that and you get that perspective it just changes the way that you look at everything for like for me you know speaking in I terms like with my cancer experience with losing my dad it just changes everything it's like you said why would it take another day just not not doing and the deciding thing I think maybe we'll talk about that later because that's something that's really come through for me that we haven't talked about yet so (laughs) yeah the deciding I can't wait to hear what you have to share (laughs) because because 
Oh, I'm sorry. What? No, I was just going to say, it'll be a fun topic to dive into. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, just to add to this, I, the four, it's been four. I was thinking it's actually been four accidents. So last week it was during the windstorms. Do you remember early last mm-hmm. week, our windstorms? I think it was early last week. Um, I was driving back home and I had only been gone for maybe 30 minutes. And on the other side of the highway that I had just driven down, a tree had fallen on a car Ugh. and the highway was shut down. Then, um, and I, and I want to get into this just because this keeps happening. So when these things happen to me or when I see them over and over, I, I receive, I'm receiving, right? And we can receive messages, I believe, from our experiences in so many different ways. But I always say when, two, when something comes up twice in a short period of time, I'm listening. Now for this time, it's happening visually. So then the next time was um, on Tuesday, uh, actually, it was this weekend. Uh, I had gone to, I'd taken my daughter to get us, uh, no, it wasn't this weekend. Then it was the weekend before. Cause I'm off, I'm going down on my coffee and I haven't been to Starbucks in over a week. So it was the weekend before right around the tree. Um, again, coming home, uh, we saw, now this one wouldn't have been necessarily me being hurt, but it could have been me hurting someone, not paying attention. Uh, someone in a motorized vehicle wheelchair was crossing the road and got hit. Mm. and it was terrible they were still lying there the police were there but uh, you know I I presume the worst because there were nobody around them it was not good um and then you know that could be the person that it happens to it's horrendous and awful and tragic and then the person that did it right I mean probably just chilling texting talking not paying attention nothing intentional about the actions that they're taking and so much nowadays we're so busy and we're so in in a hurry and we're so I need to look this way do this thing be here be on time be perfect be right do right do good and (laughs) without paying attention to the next step that we're taking and even in the world of um, my eyes are watering so that's just going to be what's happening here Uh, so if you see me gently dabbing that's what's going on Um, (laughs) and this is actually I've learned from my trauma coach a somatic release so as I'm talking to you Um, My nose is starting to run. My eyes are starting to water. I'm having a somatic release just from expressing this. And I'm kind of. uh, Sorry, I I shouldn't have interrupted, I feel like. But I want to just say that I appreciate you verbalizing that, giving it language and explaining it, because I think that it's something that I know I experience too. And when we're talking, it can feel like weird or awkward because the body's doing this thing that maybe doesn't make sense with what's being said, but like, it actually does make sense. You're processing some, some stuff and putting things together and the body's like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let this through. Our bodies talk to us all day long. And I, I didn't know to what extent until I started working with a somatic coach. And it's stunning. And I, I mean, now I can recognize it, right? I'm, 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 I'm feeling a lot of empathy, compassion, and passion about this topic because I'm feeling empathy for the people that it happened to, compassion for the person who made the mistake in the situations or made the, maybe not even mistake is the right word, made the choices that led them to that situation. And um, I'm also feeling, you know, wow, you know, in a couple of these, it could have been me. And Dear Lord, I mean, I am so grateful to be alive. And, you know, the next one was Tuesday night on the way home from a meeting. Same thing. There was a terrible, terrible accident. The highway was shut down. All these involved roads being shut down, which which is always a bad sign in, in 
the police world, I, I, I have a little bit of um, experience. I, I went through a, a police academy at one point in my life. I wanted to be a detective and go save abused women. And so I learned that that usually means, you know, something really bad because otherwise they'll try to divert traffic as quickly as possible. Um, so that usually means that someone has died uh, and they have to do a, a formal investigation and they shut everything down so they can take all the measurements and things like that. But you know, even thinking about that as the person sitting in the traffic, when that happens, I, I think about that now, like, oh man, this is because they have to do their job to help the future of the situation for whomever needs to be protected or looked out for or whatnot um, or whatever needs to happen. So yeah, this is, as you can see, I tend to look at the world from a lot of different perspectives and this is, this is, this is one. And then, you know, today the, the exit ramp that I get off on, it's one of those, and this is unusual for me. I've not had this experience except in California so far where the exit ramps and the entrance ramps are kind of one of the same on the, where the, when you're getting onto the highway, the, the lane is also that you're trying to merge out of to merge onto the highway is also the lane that people are merging onto to then get off on the other side. Yeah, it's messy. And I, just yesterday, literally yesterday, was getting off on this exit thinking this is such a, such a very diabolical exit, you know, and it's the clo the shortest ramp that I've seen, the shortest road. And I was thinking, I'm going to really need to be consciously careful every time I get off on this exit. It is the exit for me to That's visit fire. my boyfriend. Yes, it is. I know. I like, I just, I was picturing as you were saying it, because I used to take that all the time and it's, yeah. it gives me like, kind of gives me anxiety because people are yeah. flying and it's a really short space for people who yes. are in San Diego and don't know that it's a really short space where you've got to like zipper. It has to be a hundred, a hundred yards, maybe, yeah. maybe. And it's a, yeah. big it's a really oh, exit yeah. because the mall's there and, and all kinds of commerce and whatnot and a lot of living in the Mission Valley mm -hmm. area. So. Yep. I live one exit up from there. So when I come down to visit my boyfriend or sometimes I use uh, this space because it's very energetically friendly and lovely and it's nice to be able to have conversations like this here um, and quiet. So I, I visit often and yeah, just, just yesterday was thinking, hmm, you know, have to be careful. And today, you know, uh, it looked like three vehicles were involved, three people's lives changed in whether small or large ways but the high it's sh it shut down so mm -hmm. unfortunately that's not a good sign no. um but yeah four of those in what a two-week span and so i'm receiving loud and clear again i i i could take it as a oh the whole world's going to hell and what a horrible morning and yep this happened and that happened and i'm having a bad morning and they're having a bad morning and you're having a bad morning or i could look at it like Ooh, I have a lot of beautiful work to give. This is fueling my passion. There's that person just went through trauma, right? Cause I do with the trauma world. That's just another person who's going to need help from someone who knows how to help them and hope to God they find the right help. But unfortunately out of the three vehicles involved, who knows how many of them will actually find a trauma informed helper to help them truly process what just happened to them at a level that will allow deep healing and true transformation instead of a scarring effect that, you know, they look back on unless they're already a positive you know person who knows how to do this right that's how I'm thinking of it so it choose to to come at it from there wow so there are a few things that I would love to revisit from these stories one is to first just say 
you so like see how deeply you listen to your intuition and let it speak to you and actually receive the message instead of just saying like, oh my gosh, the world's falling apart or people are so stupid, which is, you know, I know in myself, I can go there, you know, watching people drive on the road, like you idiot. But really what's happening is you mentioned this string of, of things about like, being grateful, being this, or, or no, all the things we're meant to be. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're meant to be, be on Instagram. We're meant to be on time. We're meant to look a certain way. You know, you see people putting on makeup in the cars and all that, but it's so rarely emphasized that we're meant to be present because, and then, so that being present, you said that you see things from all, like sort of all angles, right? And I think that's very much part of being really present is like then that knowing that there's other things happening and other people living their lives. So it's like, not just this like self-centered way of navigating, but constantly being in relationship with what's going on around and having an understanding of it um, and taking responsibility then for your actions. And that's, that's not a place that I know, like for me and a lot of my life that I came from, I had to go through some stuff to figure that out and learn it. And part of that has been trauma and learning how to resolve that and finding people who can help me understand how that, like what led to it, right? And then how do I resolve it? And what is it even that I'm resolving? So I know that you can speak to those things and that maybe your experience is, um, you know, you've had similar experiences um, that have led you through that journey too. So um, I'd love to hear about your thoughts there. And I also want to, um, well, yeah, let's, let's go there and see where you want to take it. I've got a (laughs) bunch of things swirling around. (laughs) Sure. I, I think that your observations and what you're saying there are so true. They resonate strongly because so many people who have been through deep wounds, I often meet them on one end of the pendulum or the other. There tends to not be a lot of balance in the lives of those who've been through serious trauma. We tend to find those who have, you know, maybe especially those of us who grew up in in very black and white thinking homes, I find. Uh, We tend to be either the world is dark, ugly, horrible, and evil, and I need to hide or fight, depending on the day. Or (laughs) I find the world is fluffy, light, and lovely, and nothing's wrong. And neither one of those, in my experience, has worked for me to... in in regards to being able to fully live and be present in today and be a contributing active member of my world, of our world, of my, of transformation. We, I believe this is the root cause of conflict in the entire world, not just between spouses or parents and children or, or families. It's, it's a, it's a global epidemic. I mean, want to talk about pandemics. I like to talk about the epidemic of trauma. It's such a, <laughs> every soul on the earth essentially has gone through some kind of trauma. Even the most 
privileged, coddled, protected person um, is, can experience any any one of life's events and indeed will regardless, right? We're gonna experience loss of a family member or illness or loss of a pet or having to move from a place that we love. It, 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 it's such a vast situation. So the fact that we don't teach very much how to process at a level that excavates and re-transforms or, you know, reforms or transforms the experience into something that can be viewed from a place of learning and contribution back into our world. I, I don't, I don't know how we've made it this far without that kind of thinking. And, and I do believe there are some cultures that do this much better than others. Typically tribal cultures mm -hmm. still are able and have that. And we've had that before, right? Mm -hmm. But we've lost it in the modern world of individualism, of, of climbing the ladder, of getting there on time, of making sure our hair is perfect. And you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't aim high at all. But it is to say that if I'm present and I find that I'm running late frequently, that's me, that's on me to adjust something in my day to ensure that I am on time and can be present in the car. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I create a safer world for me and everybody else. And that's such a small example, but we can take um, the things that we've been through the traumas, the hurts, the pains, the betrayals, the angers. And, I, and that doesn't even mean that we're happy all the time. I have lots of up and down days still. It's the processing of those days that changes. It's the judgment or the lack thereof that comes about of, the, of those days and of self that changes. Mm -hmm. And therefore the whole journey and the ability to see others as human instead of as competition or as um, a threat and honoring still what they're going through while still allowing yourself to make your own choices that you need to do to keep you where you need to be. It's, it's, it's such a different world than what we tend to see. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the world that we tend to see is so enmeshed while at the same time not connected, <laughs> truly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, that, that paradox we're so connected that we're disconnected and we're so, we lack boundaries um, and just kind of float around. And, and I heard those themes come up in what you were saying, you know, very boundaries and personal responsibility and compassion and understanding. And what you said about um, not being, you know, how do we get this far without knowing how to do this? I think that I look at what's happening in the outside world in politics and in the situation with like, you know, sex trafficking and uh, abuse, domestic abuse, um, chronic illness, all of it is just the symptom of our inability to metabolize is the word that came to mind when you were describing like taking these experiences and finding the good and letting go of the bad, similar to how we metabolize our food. We take in what's good, the body makes the most of it and brings life to us. And then the rest, you know, goes and we let it go. Um, and we haven't really learned how to do that with experience. Um, I think really of like any sort of emotional depth, emotions have been so 
you know, repressed, pushed away, put into a box, certain ones honored over others. But then that's that black and white thinking of like, happy, good, sad, bad, but really like the true living is in the middle, in, in the gray and in the, in the like more muted tones and the subtleties. Like I always think when I explain this, I'm going to get all, <laughs> I love that you light up when I go on my tangents. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think of like, I was actually out walking um, after my cancer surgery the summer after and thinking about how I was supposed to have went to Burning Man that summer. I was supposed to do all these things. Instead, I got cancer and, you know, I'm walking around the neighborhood and it's dusk, but like I'm here and I'm breathing in the air and someone's got a fire lit somewhere. I can smell someone else's dinner and the sun's going down and it was a really bright day, but suddenly everything had even more color and there was more life than there was in the day when everyone was at work. Cause at this point I was walking the neighborhood a few times a day, you know, but there was mm. much more life and the sunset, there was this great, <laughs> and then lights were coming on that weren't there before. And it's just like, it's for me, those transition times of like su sunrise, sunset, dawn, dusk hold so much richness than like those polarities of like dark, dark night and bright, bright day. So is that, <laughs> it makes to honor the gray areas and get really curious yeah. about them and what's happening there. And I, I think that we miss that in dealing with emotions and the polarity, like the, the things in between and what happens. And also in, um, in our experience and in our bodies, you know, it's like, well, there's joy or there's pain, but there's so much more subtly going on that has meaning, like a dawn or a dusk. Mm. There's a reason they call it the golden hour photographers, right? Some of the most famous and incredible photographs ever taken. My daughter is an amateur photographer and that's she gets so excited every day at the end of the day at golden hour because everything looks more beautiful. And that's such an amazing analogy. It's so true. It's the, the gray in between the dark and the light. Same with dawn, right? It's just rosy and magical. And there's a feeling of new beginning. And even to, to me, even at, at dusk, there's a feeling of new beginning because I kind of look at it either way. It's the renewing or the, the birthing of the day or the renewing of the day. It's just gorgeous. And that is such a beautiful analogy. I will be borrowing this, I think, in the future because that's how I feel about, about life. It's, it, it is. It's in the pain and, and in the journey that is the joy. Right? That mm -hmm. is the joy. And every day, I mean, I am still going through like you're saying you were having cancer you were just out of cancer out of surgery and I know a bit about your story and you had an, a surgery of epic proportions I even read up a little bit on your surgery and from what I understand it's what do they call it the mother of all surgeries the mother yeah the mother and and this you know I was reading a blog from another person on it and he was explaining how he searched for months and months and months and fought his insurance company to be able to get the right surgeon to do it and I was just thinking wow you know so for you to be sharing how you experienced that feeling after that surgery, I've had a surgery um, that only removed, I had a, um, 
uh, abdominal surgery that um, I had a, an appendix removed and then I had my tubes removed. And after both of those surgeries, which were nominal, minimal surgeries, I had a lot of grief and a lot of anger and a lot of pain. And I was more self-aware after the second one, the tubal ligation than I was after the first, but I can only imagine what it would feel like to wake up after a surgery that you had gone through and to still be able to then walk down the road that summer after that surgery and find joy, right? And, and the other thing too, is it, it probably has been a, a journey since, right? I've, I've seen your posts and there's layers of processing that we go through. We process things like that through so many different lenses and through different periods of life and through, if, if life changes, if our situation changes, we reprocess it again through that lens, right? And, and so that's where I feel like your analogy is so beautiful because yeah, we have that sunset almost every day unless the clouds are out. And that's kind of also an, an analogous to life, right? Like, yeah, and then the clouds make it really beautiful. Right? <laughs> or like when the fires are in and the skies lit up orange and it's like through that haze that you just see things so differently. And I, I say you, I don't know if other people, I, I see things so differently. And I think about that. I think about, well, what is this? Like I could look at it as clouds obscuring the sky and getting in the way, but it's really bringing something quite beautiful. Um, and I appreciate it. Now I want to say that it's not like I, this has not been my disposition for <laughs> my whole life like I don't want people listening to be like yeah that's nice you 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 ladies are crazy you know <laughs> this shit sucks it's hard because there are and I'm still processing very recently in fact the the stark reality that I don't have lady parts anymore I don't have a hormonal cycle I'm never going to have a period again I cannot have children, which is not something that I thought that I wanted, but I certainly didn't want it taken away. Um, I was, <laughs> maybe like, well, I don't believe in TMI. I was splitting an yeah. egg. It's raw expression. Raw. That's what I we're know. here for. Thank you for <laughs> reminding me of my purpose. <laughs> um, I, so I was separating egg yolk and egg white. And you know, like there's that really like gloopy and it's like a woman's, natural you know vaginal juices and it just reminded me of like what I would feel at ovulation that slipperiness that sliminess and can be real like that doesn't exist anymore when when the hormonal cycle isn't there when the uterus isn't there there there's no eggs being released like I just don't have that and there was just this moment of like I'm crying separating eggs chicken eggs because it reminded me of that, of something that I had and I appreciated it. Like I knew when that happened, like, oh, like I was, my libido was usually high. Um, and I, I knew something about my body, but I didn't deeply appreciate it. Like I, in the way that I wish that I would have, you know, and that's like, you don't know what you've lost until it's gone. It's so true. And I'm, something that's really been getting me frustrated and kind of getting me passionate is when I hear, and this is funny. Well, uh, when I hear people come, women, womb owners complain about their cycle 
or what a pain it is or you know and I've done that I've done that and I look back and I want to go and like hug my younger self huh and and talk to my younger self who was on birth control for 10 years and just say please love yourself honor yourself get to know yourself and so I'm like mourning that self that I only know because she's not there anymore and it's 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 deep deep like tears that come out of nowhere and a lot of somatic feelings that are holding that and as the emotions clear my body's been clearing and it's really something um but all, all that to just say that this attitude only comes from looking at the pain and the loss um which for me after my surgery immediately i just wanted to get past I just wanted to, you know, as, as is often the case when something bad has happened, we just want to run from it and not deal with it. Um, but it's in the dealing with it, that metabolizing of it, that I feel like so many things come, a lot, like bring us back, bring, have brought me back to life. So, mm. yeah. <sighs> I'm feeling that, wow. That's, um, yeah, that's a lot of processing and it's amazing how, again, like even the fact that that phrase, you don't know what you have until it's gone is so commonly used is a clue to us to how um, much we are not taught gratefulness and presentness and awareness. And even I've heard you share about how you kind of knew something was wrong before and you've even been processing, right? The fact that Maybe you didn't push in your mind that you were processing how maybe you didn't push hard enough on your physicians. And, you know, I, I have a family, lots of family in the medical world, physicians and other, and, you know, I have a, uh, my sister talks about how she has to fight sometimes to get her patients to be heard because of the system and how difficult it is to work as a woman in that system, as a doctor. And, and she's a, so lucky to be with an incredible trailblazing woman physician as her, her lead in her, the chair of her de the, uh, department that she's in and, and of her hospital. But, um, and, and they're trying, they are, and they're doing, they're making waves, they're doing studies, they're presenting research, they're showing how women as the employee and as the patient are severely under appreciated, underheard, undervalued. Um, and so I say all that to, to just acknowledge that should we all begin to come to the place of, of presentness and awareness, imagine being taught that in kindergarten. Have you ever heard of The Last Mimsy, the movie? No. It's a really, really cool movie. I, my daughter loved that movie growing up and she still does. And at the end of the movie, you know, it's this journey without giving away the whole thing, but there's this journey of this little, um, this little animal, stuffed animal. And it's basically sent back from our future selves to help save the world. Mm -hmm. And um, when it kind of at the end cuts back to the, the future, the teacher, the kids are in at kindergarten and they're in a meadow and she's teaching them about basically awareness. 
And that's what they teach their kindergartners then in the future. And I, I always think back to that and think how incredible of a, a world and an existence, especially in, in uh, countries that lead in the world of education, right? Imagine if we were also teaching mindfulness and presentness and awareness and compassion instead of just a curriculum that checks a box and it, it, it's so interesting uh, to think about that and, and how many people would become advocates for themselves and feel safe to speak up um, instead of not trusting what our bodies are telling us. Because again, like you were just talking about that, now you have the memories of what you used to experience, but maybe at the time you weren't truly experiencing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so so true um and i feel like we're moving in that direction you know i think that and and i don't know i don't really have any solid anything to back this up other than something that i feel in like my soul but that you know our generation because we're pretty close in age right yeah I went through these things and grew up in a different way. And we are kind of living in that gray area of transformation when it comes to figuring out what is the better way and the way forward. And I just hope it's not too late. And I hope that more people um, get exposed to it. And you know, that's why I want to talk about it. Um, I know that's why you're doing what you're doing. Yes. Um, because we do see that there's a possibility and there's something that we didn't get. And, you know, it's not, people just didn't know, I think. And that's been a part of the journey that's really hard for me to grasp is that my parents didn't do it on purpose. They were hurt. Where that hurt came from is a big question that lingers in my mind sometimes. And I'm getting more comfortable with the I don't necessarily need to know. Like in some ways it's important, I think, because we can look at systems, we can look at institutions, we can look mm -hmm. at events and yeah. in the past yeah. and see how they impacted. But then sometimes, you know, you just, you know, you don't know. Like, I don't know why my dad was, felt the way that he did that made him, you know, drink and use drugs. I mean, I kind of know, but and I know how his family life um, influenced his um, development, but I don't know how far back that goes. And it doesn't really matter. I just know that something's got to change, you know? So I feel like mm -hmm. we're at this point where enough people are waking up so that something's got to change and we have enough evidence of like what isn't working in certain places. Like, let's start to shift it. Like we know we know where we can have impact. Um, and it is always, I think, within ourselves first. Um, and then that affects the systems that we live in. And I'm really grateful for people who advocate, you know, on like on a larger scale. Um, but I feel like my work personally is like right in here and with like having conversations like this and the people. Yeah that I meet. Um, and I see that uh, there's so much of me that wants to blame the medical system. And yes, 
there is a responsibility on their part. Like they could be better, but ultimately I could have pushed harder. And so developing that real trust Mm. in self that only comes from having awareness of the internal, of my internal environment and of what's going on within me and how I've been shaped. um, Like that, that's it. That, that will set me up to experience life in the ways that I desire. That is, that is so true. And, you know, systems, I, I, I love systems. I'm fascinated by systems and I helped build systems and processes at my last job. And without realizing it back before I got my degree, I, I loved process improvement and and then when I got my degree and it's called organizational supervision, but it was um, classes were all on project management, process improvement. I have my yellow belt and six Sigma and I'm a, I have my scrum master certification. So, which is a, a form of process improvement and system development in the tech world. But um, all those just taught me uh, and I had already seen the world that way. I didn't know that there was a name for how I saw the world. And when I got into that degree and I changed that degree and thought of myself as a failure because I was going to be an accountant and I was sick and my, my autoimmune was kicking my butt and my PTSD was kicking my butt back at the time. So I switched my major and then fell in love with this degree. And I was like, wow, there's a name for how I think. <laughs> and so, um, but when I realized I started, you know, I just, I, I see the whole world of systems, right? I'm thinking about that short uh, exit ramp. I wonder if we did a, an analysis. This is me, right? I wonder how many accidents are there every year. How many people lose their lives, lose their cars, lose the ability to function the way they used to. And if there could be something that could be done about it. Now, if I had enough time, energy and resources, I would totally undertake that. That's me, right? I want to go undertake. I want to look at the process. I want to get down to the root cause. What is the root of this issue? Because as I was talking to a family member about their work in the medical world the other day, it was just mind boggling. She was saying, you know, they were having this meeting and you are right, Rachel, your intuition is telling you the truth. You know, this huge university hospital is having a meeting about why are there not as many women in, you know, this field. And they had, you know, tons of people of color presenting this year, tons of women, which was extremely unusual. They didn't usually do that in the past. So they've been mentoring and building up and giving a platform. And that's that this, this last year is what it took to get these people to finally start listening and taking action. Cause there's a difference between listening and feeling like, Oh, this is such a problem. And I feel so bad for these women. You know, I, I, it drives me crazy. This is one of my little pet peeves. When, when I hear men say, I feel so bad for women nowadays. I'm like, Oh, you do, do you? Well, let me give you some thoughts on how you could do something about that. (laughs) Um, Because that's what it takes. You can talk and listen all day long, but until you start doing, and that's, that's the systems, right? The systems are built at such a complex level. And many times we don't have a system expert or someone, some one point of contact who understands the system to a point where they're able to interpret the system to all of its users who are then able to roll out a process that fits, right? And that is, is the root cause of, you know, of the, the hows 
in our world as I see it. And, and the root cause of the uh, reaction is not the, the lack of ability to self-regulate our nervous systems because all we know is we just got told no, that we needed something and we just were told no. So what do we do? Our choices are, let's see, shut down, um, accept it as truth, um, and, and ignore our own bodies or our own information that we are feeling is, is moving us that there's something wrong here. Throw a temper tantrum, my usual go-to mode, um, which I have been learning to transmute, right? Into something healthy and good. Um, and usually not get your way on doing any of those things. So fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. You know, we have people who have the fawn response, which is a lesser known response to trauma, um, or you're super nice and manipulative or, um, you know, charming and trying to get your way through that method. There's a variety of methods that, he, that we uh, have evolved to be able to use to get what we need to survive. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that integration of finding a way to create advocates within our systems who are, or teams of advocates who know our system, whatever that system might be, our local school system, and then the regional school system, and then the state school system. And, and you know, then integrating into that a layer of trauma-informed care, which is what I'm an advocate of, right? A visionary for a trauma-informed future. So where these advocates of, of people who understand the systems that they are helping to run and are then the translators to all their users. Imagine what a different world we could have if we could we could solve that, right? And and people are listening and they are ready. And as I like to say, we're not going to shut up. Yes. You know, I, I I put that on my LinkedIn especially all the time because I, I have a, a, a large following of professionals. And I, I like to let them know all the time, you know, we're not going away. This is not stopping. I have had a um, tumultuous professional career because I was one of those people even before I knew what I wanted to do that I would see something that was wrong and I would I would you know in in ways that weren't always the healthiest I would always speak up can we I kind of want to talk about this because yeah. you're talking about trauma-informed care I was talking about how I feel like ultimately like I, the work is here all the work is here and then you're talking about creating change in systems and being in institutions and processes and bigger systems that are very complex and how do we do that and who's moving that forward and I think that there are a lot of people who are passionate about it I've been really passionate I can think back in my career in my corporate career and the way that I channeled that passion was finger pointing and anger and just pointing out all the wrong things and it was very charged in a way that nobody wants to hear that. Nobody's going to listen to that. And so my system was not regulated. So I feel like it comes back to, again, right here. And you started going down that, that path of like, yeah, I got passionate about it. Maybe not in the right way. So I think it's so easy for most of us to look outside and be like, well, that needs to change and we need to fix this, you know? How do we, how do we bring it here for people and let them see that, yes, you're absolutely right. There's something there that needs to change. But if you really want to have impact, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to see this through and have a fighting chance at creating that, you literally have to be the change. You have to move 
from a regulated, grounded, aware, connected space where like you seeing these accidents were coming from, I think, you know, seeing like, oh, this could have been what happened. Maybe this, maybe that feeling it in your body and then knowing how to like move forward. Like for you is like, how do I move forward in my life? But for a person wanting to influence change in a situation, it might be feeling into the situation and then knowing how to move forward with the right action, you know? So I guess there are a couple of pieces that I, I'd love to talk, hear you talk about, like, how do we bring awareness to that, to the importance of bringing it back here when it feels like it's all out there. Um, and then maybe some techniques for maybe assessing where you're, where one is at in, in, an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a super deep, complex uh, question with a simple answer that takes time, energy, and dedication to implement, but it is possible. Yes. This is one of my favorite slogans. It is possible. So coming back to the accidents, there is a piece of me and in many of us who wants to help, right? We've just seen a terrible suffering situation. And so I like to think of it as the helper. The helper inside is like, oh my God, I want to heal this suffering. Because none of us want to see that. Even animals, right, will will try to help each other when there's suffering. As long as there's not an imminent threat to that other animal, they're going to try to, you know, you know, I'm thinking of uh, even elephants, especially. I, I watched this really interesting video where they'll stay with a dying um, elderly elephant until it passes, and then they'll protect it for a few days, mm -hmm. um, its body. And I, and I think of, um, you know, us at, at the heart, we're, we're with the very rare exception of, of uh, such a tiny, tiny, less than what, 1% of 1% are born with the wiring to care. We are made that way to survive, right? And so we wanna help. However, in a complex world like we have now, it's not like we're out um, you know, in our log cabins and we have neighbors and somebody got hurt and we know to gather, we need bandages, we need water, we need um, somebody to go get some quinine or whatever, we, we knew, right? We knew what to do. There was a simple array of options. There were some, you know, maybe go get the local herb master or herb woman and, and there was a, a fairly simple choice of options to choose from. You knew what to do. You did all you could. If they were better, wonderful, everyone celebrates. If they don't get better, it's horribly sad, but we truly did everything we knew how to do, right? And out of that, there's usually someone, and it was less people then, because we had less people who was like, no, there's gotta be more. And then they would go find a new way, a new thing. It's at the heart of wanting to help others and then not being able to, there is, is growth that comes out of that. But all of us have the initial instinct to help. Nowadays, we don't know how. Most of us, uh, if we see an accident on the side of the road, if it had just happened, we don't stop. Why? Not because we don't care. I mean, if we don't, that's a whole another complex evolution of turning yourself off because you don't know how it's still you don't know how or you have such a strong survival mode for yourself that you don't want to take the time or the risk or whatever to do that um so it really if we if we dig deep down it's all about surviving 
and weighing out my own survival versus needing others to help me survive. We don't need others to help us survive as much as we used to, or so we thought yeah. until 2020. <laughs> Suddenly, the reality of how much we need each other is hitting many people right square in the gut, and we're going, what? I need to be nice to people. I need, I need people. I need to help people. But how? How? That, that's where it usually comes back to. How do I help? I don't know how to help. So that's where I, you know, with the accident, um, there's still a little piece of me that wants to stop and help. Now there's tons of police officers there. There's literally nothing I'm going to be able to do except get in the way if I stop. So I'm not going to stop. I could process it as again, that dark, horrible thing and, and think negative thoughts for the rest of the day and be scared to drive around. That's not going to help anyone. I could think of it from the perspective of, I can't believe that that ramp is like that. That's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. How come they're allowing it to stay this way when there's probably so many accidents? Is that really going to help? No, unless I'm some type of structural or street engineer or lawyer or somebody who can go take action to make something change right now. No. And so again, going back to that old way of thinking or back in the day when everybody knew what to do and they did it and they all were okay. They moved on. They were whatever happened, the outcome, it was good. Yay. It was bad. We all did what we could, but then there's usually that one person who's like, no, there could have been something more done. I know there must be more. And then there's the trailblazers. So out of every trauma comes someone who says, I think there's a better way. And so it doesn't mitigate or lessen or dampen the tragedy of what a soul goes through. But for me, looking back on what I've been through, I think of it like I, I, I on most days, I, I, I can thank uh, those who have, who have contributed to my journey. And if you know my story, you know, that kind of sounds a little unbelievable to some people, but looking back, I'm thinking, my God, well, who else is going to do it, right? I decided that I went through it. I didn't like it. And I raised my hand for that situation. So while I can't stop on the side of the street necessarily and help with an accident, although I will say I do know first aid. And if I'm the first one there, I will be the person who pulls over to help because I know how to help somewhat um, to see at least if I can help. Um, but if they're already there and I can't, I can't put water on that fire, but I can certainly put water on this fire of what I've been through. So I feel like all of our experiences are here asking for volunteers who here chooses to take the journey to try to help make this situation better in our world. How many of you are going to need to go through this over and over and over and over and over and over again until you do something about it? And which situation in your life is going to be the trauma that you choose to passionately pursue healing for yourself and then our world. And it all, again, I'll say it over and over again, I, I truly believe comes back to that wiring of brain and body to survive. And yet, because we are human and not an animal, we have the choice to look for options and solutions. And there's so many of those. And yet every single solution that we look to in our world typically is a band-aid for a symptom of the trauma, not a healing mechanism to truly transform or transmute the, the wound into something productive. And, I, and that's, that's how I see our world is every trauma has 
the potential to truly heal. We hear about it all the time. We hear about miraculous cancer survivors. We hear about incredible stories of overcoming abuse. We hear of you know, genocides with strong survivors who hid out in bathrooms for five days with 20 people and then made it out and just preached joy to the world, right? We hear about these stories. If we're listening for them, they're out there over and over and over and over and over again. How did these people do that? How did they go through the hells that they survived and yet still come to a place of joy again? And that's why I like to teach people, you can find your joy again. And it's through learning how to do the small things. And it does come down to self. Because while we could have, you know, I envision this this future with all these trauma-informed professionals who would be those who have been through, right? Those warriors who have learned to self-regulate and to come to a place, you know, obviously perfection isn't possible, but you can get to a place of um, becoming an expert in something or where 95% of the time you're able to self-regulate yourself during this tense situation and contribute knowledge and wisdom and exemplary behavior and show people how to calm down or how to solve the problem or guide you to a finding within yourself the tools or giving you the tools to find within yourself that place of calm and rational self. Um, and the more we practice it, this, this is not a, a quick fix journey either. That's something else I like to, to say is, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's not as popular, right? It's, it's not a thing that um, I can give you a pill for and um, you're going to be great. No, definitely not. It's a journey. Like you said, it's the processing. It's trauma recovery is, it's a journey. Yeah. It's, it's so, there's so many layers to it that I think for me, I didn't even know were there <laughs> and I keep finding more, which is actually exciting um, to me now because it's like, oh, okay, it's here. It's ready to be seen and loved and released and, you know, open up a space. Um, what you um, were saying about, you know, trauma really sort of revealing a purpose to us in a way it can for some people, maybe not all people. I think that's to me, an important thing to see is that just because something happened to you and yeah, maybe you process it, it doesn't have to become your identity or your passion. It can, but it doesn't have to, and you don't have to have something horrible happen to you in order to have a significant place in the world, you know, to have a good story to run on. And no matter what I think has happened to anyone getting in touch here and understanding the message of messages of the body is still really important. I think it just so happens that those of us who have been through things that have caused us to contract and to maybe go into, you know, uh, some sort of um, coping mechanism that is like a fight or flight or freeze or functional freeze that has then worn down our system and caused pain, that pain calls us to it. And so we end up facing it more because we have to, like out of necessity, right? Um, than people who are able to just kind of like da, 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 go on and just exist, even though they've had some sort of 
you know, maybe little T traumas or just things that happened in their lives that haven't really manifested to a point where the scream in the body or in their life is so loud that they absolutely have to take action. And so I I'm hoping that with teaching kids that awareness younger embodiment younger that less people will have to face the screams though I think they'll always be there I think that they're going to be a part of life it'll just not be as wild a ride necessarily (laughs) because it's not going to go away if it goes away then we're not I don't know it's not like it's not life to me I don't want to say, I feel like when I say that, I'm like attached to the pain. Like, no, you've got to, like, I want suffering. I don't want suffering, but I see that there's gifts in suffering. And that it's like you said, that that suffering, that feeling like there could have been more, like that is what propels us forward. If it's comfortable all the time, it's just stagnation, you know? Um, Yeah. I think that's super important to mention about how you don't really need to go through a trauma to be significant in our world. And I am very passionate about this. So I can tend to be obviously on my side of the, of the window that I see life through. Um, but I, I do want to talk about that a little, cause it's true. Not everybody um, experiences the levels of pain that we're talking about, or at least haven't yet. I will caveat that because yes. You know, what we're learning is that a lot of times too, people who do experience intensive pain, which oftentimes is research on, first of all, some of the most successful people in the world, and also on those who are trailblazers in some way, in almost every field. They've experienced some type of very significant childhood in some way, oftentimes involving abuse. Not every time or they've experienced um, an extreme loss later in their life that they didn't know how to process, or they've experienced, um, you know, it it is, pain can be the driver, it doesn't have to be, but it really can be. And here's the the caveat to that though, is that sometimes we don't know about it until later because they don't tell about it. Oftentimes very driven people, professional people, Some of them can be uh, just very regulated because they come from a secure attachment childhood, which is where parent knew how to regulate for them while they were a baby. And during pregnancy, mom was well taken care of, well-regulated, not stressed during early childhood, same, right? Especially mother, extremely important to have for the developing brain body. There's a whole science behind it. There's lots of neurology books about it um, that, you know, one of the best out there is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he's a medical doctor and very fascinating study on why this is. But it, it's, it still tends to be pain or trauma of some kind that leads those who we look up to, to into their field for some, again, for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's that dissatisfaction with the status quo. And it is those who tend to be um, well regulated who usually are in those positions of, hey, I love my job and I'm just going to do my work and I want to go to work and have a great life. And I easily do 
everything's pretty easy for me. You know, I know how to schedule appointments. I know how to earn money. I know how to manage my money. I know where to go, who to call, how to look that up. That's wonderful. My life is great. And that doesn't detract from your value or purpose in the world because you're meaningful and significant to those who love you, those who need you. You're contributing to our world, right? And so I had to grieve that loss of that because that was my ideal that I looked to for most of my young life. My, you know, I wanted to grow up, get married, have kids. And then as time went on, that evolved. And I was like, I want to contribute. You know, as an accountant, I want to go to work, wear my suit, do my work, go home, sit at home at the dinner table, have a lovely evening, you know, go to bed, get up and do it again. That was, you know, that's what a lot of us look, look for in life. Um, and so, yeah, I felt that I was striving for something significant and that I made a difference, especially in the lives of those, you know, I used to host Christmas and Thanksgiving and I always wanted it to be this wonderful, perfect little life. But hiding underneath that can be, um, I, I found, and this is, I, I believe this for, for a lot of people is a codependent personality um, and hidden addictions, which we don't talk about, which is why I like your show and why I do what I do and talk about what I talk about. Because on the outside, it was all perfect. I literally had a white picket fence out front and the fence in backyard and, you know, the little ranch house and the cute little suburb and the job at the bank and the little cute suit. And if you looked on the outside, it all looked lovely, but it was crumbling. Right. And that was because I was codependent. And even if we're self-regulated, we oftentimes find that um, we're participating unconsciously in our lives. Those who tend to be self-aware and present see that there is a lot of pain. And even if we do come from a background of, of goodness and wonderfulness, we're, we're still gonna see those people typically working on the front lines in some way, shape or form doing a job of maybe nursing or doctor or lawyer or, you know, civil rights attorney or something where they're, they're seeing the pain. And when we move through life without seeing the pain, it's not that we don't have any value, but we're really not participating in life then, are we? Kind of like you said, like, what would be the point if it was perfect? And trust me, the pain's coming, whether we like it or not. If it hits you at the front end or at the back end, yeah. When, when your family starts dying, your loved ones start dying, you start losing your health because you will one day, there is no exit out of this life without pain. You will not escape. That, so, that, thank you for saying that because I believe that so much and that escaping the pain is the biggest creator of pain, I think, in our lives. And there's just nothing that no life makes it through without pain. That's why I love Taoism. I love the yin and the yang and, you know, the flow between, um, because it's, it's going to come, like you said, whether it hits you at the front end or at the back end, it's coming in some way. So to acknowledge it and to be willing to see it is so important. My friend Amy talks about this, about recognizing the monsters in our lives and how like scary stories and stuff 
are really important for children. And like, we kind of want to shelter them. Oh no, everything's fine. Everything's great. Oh, don't watch that. There's nothing scary over here, but it's important to see that there's scary in the world and that bad things happen. And to learn to relate to that so that when it does come upon you in whatever form that it does, you know, witnessing a car accident, losing a parent, losing a friend, getting an illness, or just the subtle bit of like losing that life that you thought you might have. And how many people lost that in 2020? Yeah. And how many of us really suffered because Mm -hmm. of it, you know, because it, it was something that we didn't even realize that we were wanting so badly, you know, that sudden the awareness really just like, boom, in 2020, I think. Kind of like what you were saying. You didn't know you were going to miss it until it was gone. Yeah. And that, that's how I, on, on tough days, I, that's where I'll go back to is I could lose any single thing in, in, at any time. I mean, the car, they were driving down the highway and the tree fell on them. Like it's random, <laughs> random life is random. That's another we thing that I think is hard to accept. Yes, you don't have to be special or not special to have something crazy happen to you. I mean, why did a formerly registered sex offender move in door two doors down from me? Like, why, why, why did that happen? You know, why did he pick that house? Why, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's theories behind it, and but still, even then, why did he pick me? Right? Why? It, it it's mind-boggling the statistical chances of so many of the things that happen in our lives, and then, you know, that's why I do subscribe to the fact that I, I do believe everything's for a reason, and everything will create something in your life one way or another. So. I like to look and see why was that? What what was the root cause of this outcome? Well, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I I always say one day I want to get somebody to give me a side of a building and I want to paint the mind map of my life. And that's what I do in one of my um, coaching sessions for new clients is we do a mind map of your future. Like you tell me, what do you, when you're 90 and you're dying, what did you do? What did you do? And you tell me and we paint your mind map and we're like, wow, look at this life that you created. Now, where are you and how are you going to get there? Because to see experiences as pillars of strength, especially the ones that were hard, changes everything. It's the practice of, you know, they call it post-traumatic growth, but it's the practice of resiliency and of it's not all rosy and beautiful every day. Trust me, I still have days where I am verbally abusive to my daughter and I am still working on that and I still own that. That's one of my biggest areas of improvement. So is um, not going into fight when I'm dealing with systems because I had so much trauma in systems that I went through, court system, you know, legal system, hospital systems, workplaces, I struggle mightily with regulation in those areas. And so it's a daily practice of of doing what I need to do and still searching for, okay, what new trauma recovery technique can I use today? Because that one yesterday didn't work. Or can I do this in a different setting so that I have more accountability so that I don't behave that way? Because what happens is I'll for example, be, I don't know, on the phone with like, let's say unemployment last year. And, you know, somebody clicked the button wrong 
And to me, there's like you talked at the beginning of the finger pointing, there's that tendency to be like, that person messed everything up and now I can't do this or that. And, ah. and at the end of the day, okay, yeah, they messed it up. Guess what? I worked in a bank before. I screwed stuff up. I ruined somebody's something, you know? Okay, well, guess what? They're still a person. I need to see it from that perspective. I need to self-regulate. I need to calm down. And now what do I do next? And how did that create the next step? Because if it hadn't been for that happening, then I wouldn't have created the new little mind map program, right? Because I was like, what can I do to help myself? And so that's how I like to, to teach is that you, you look at it and then you process it. And I can give you a couple of like little live t techniques that I've learned uh, along the way, but have it happen, feel the feelings, process the feelings, and it takes way longer in the beginning than it does as you move forward and then take an action step and then enjoy the beauty of the fact that because that thing just happened, you just came up with another way to do something. What did you learn? What can you teach somebody else now because of what you just learned? Um, and how can I then influence the person who's helping me instead of being angry at them? And, you know, maybe they Google me and they're like, well, this chick's insane. Like she's supposed to be trauma recovery. She was so horrible. I'll never call her and I'll tell everybody I know not to call her. Right. <laughs> so it's like, how do I take these situations? Well, I got to talk about them. And then because that happened and because uh, I do not have shame over these things, I'm like, no, I did it. Yep. I'm owning it. How do I teach somebody else now who might be going through the same thing and then alleviate some of that verbal abuse that our world has so much of? I mean, just turn on the television. It's like verbal abuse city on our politics and our news and our interview systems. I mean, it just makes my heart hurt. And so I'm thinking, how do we stop contributing to that? So you see, you take one little bad thing or some big bad thing. And I think that, again, it's also a way of thinking that if we could teach children in kindergarten, right? Well, what, what can we do about the fact that, you know, daddy had a really bad day yesterday and there's trauma recovery for kids that, you know, we have uh, available in our world. Different institutions teach this, different counseling programs teach it. What can you do when mommy and daddy are fighting? Could you imagine again, teaching children to self-regulate autonomy, reach out for help, talk about it. It's not shameful. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, that would be amazing. And I hope that we can start having at some point in this world, parents who are able to do that because it does take a village. <laughs> and I think that's part of the problem is that we're relying on, on parents to do it all themselves. And I don't know, I'm not a parent. Or teachers, or, te or we want the teachers to do it all. Well, well, right. Like it's not any one person's responsibility. Oh. And, and really, like you said earlier, the mother, the mother is so important. And we have, I think as women, we are so cut off from our, our mother resources and our bodies that we are not able to pass it on. And that's something that I'm becoming very passionate about. Ironically, here as a woman with no womb um but I just feel in some way that it's really important and I can look at my astrology and like all kinds of stuff and I have the mother um like archetype in me so uh the fact that part of my trauma involved losing this is, I think is part of that entry into 
how do I create it now <laughs> from the that is having it? So you are the epitome of the person who can, you can bring that stark contrast to a mother. Like, what if you didn't have a womb anymore? And you can then instigate thought. And so, you know, you're doing your small work inside, but your big work is this awake, like think about it, cherish what you have, honor what you have, learn more about what you have and how it works and how we can flow differently through our work and our life and our, our practices in flow with our bodies as women. I mean, there, I, we could get off on a whole nother tangent, but you know, there's, there's four weeks in the traditional cycle. There's four seasons in the year, you know, there's, there's all these different resonances and it, yeah, it's beautiful. It's it just like systems and trauma and how it's all interconnected. We're all interconnected. And I just did a post the other day about this, like we are your tribe. Like I am driving down the road, just like those people in that car accident, right? They're each other's tribe. Like we are a tribe of the world now. I mean, you could be interacting with someone from the other side of the earth at any moment nowadays. And I mean, I know travel's down, but still we have people, especially here in San Diego from all over the entire earth. We are each other's tribe. And, and if we can learn to walk about like that, and see each other as, you know, you're my tribe on the road. You know, I, I want to keep you safe and I want to keep me safe. And we're here together going where we're going, but we're going together in this little path right now. We're together yeah. or in the grocery store, right. Or wherever we are. And in the, the world at, at large, you know, in this whole universe, we're all co-creating together, but yeah, seeing it just in our little communities first and, what I'm really hearing, what I feel is that it's about treating the other as you would treat yourself. And the truth is, is that many of us don't treat ourselves very well. So I bring it back to like, it's about in here, you know, the internal dialogue is reflected in your external dialogue. And yes, you could be very codependent and very pleasing to people on the outside and saying things and doing the right stuff and have a really nasty internal dialogue. But the energy to me of that internal dialogue mm -hmm. and that external dialogue are still congruent because they're not very, um, even though you're nice on the outside, it's damaging because it's not authentic and it's not loving. Mm -hmm. It's not really truly loving necessarily because mm -hmm. it's, you're not saying something that comes from a place of truth, you know? Mm -hmm. So coming to learn our, our truth and our self-love first so that we can take that and then see others as tribe and love them as our tribe. And there's just, there's so much othering and finger pointing and blaming right now that I know we've got, we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do here. Um, I want to be mindful of time because I know that we can talk for hours. I know. <laughs> and um, Marion's launching her course today. Oh, exciting. Go Marion. She's so inspiring. I know. I love Marion. I'm so excited to learn her ways of productivity and getting shit done because um, <laughs> I need it. Um, uh, and I haven't done the pre-homework. Sorry, Marion, if you're watching, I feel like I just... I am <laughs> so glad that you asked. 
look at you asking for what you need. This is what we need to do more of, right? Like I, I've been learning to tell people if I'm on the phone, Hey, um, I need to take a break for a minute. Like, I don't need to tell you that it's cause I have to pee, but it's cause I have to pee. Like what I, why do you do that? Right? Like that's been a thing for me for like a year now where I, if I have to pee, damn it, I'm putting you on hold and I'm going to go pee or you can call me back. Like this is ridiculous to the levels that we've taken for properness and professionalism. And right? all this. Well, that's the first thing that Irene Lyon teaches follow your impulse, follow your biological impulse. And when I started doing that and realizing how often I'll sit in a weird position that actually isn't kind of like, actually right now, my foot's falling asleep a little bit because I was just disconnected from my body, you know? And that, or, you know, even recognizing, oh, I kind of have to pee, but I'm just going to keep doing this thing. It's not really (laughs) loving to the body. It's not saying like, Oh, you need something. Let me take care yeah. of you. I want to, I want to give you what you need because you help me so much. Like you are, you are me. I'm talking about it. Like I'm dissociated, which is something. I <laughs> um, it's the crazy thing that we do, We but we do. We've taught our bodies that they're supposed to be an it and not us. Yes. Submit, and submit that's, to the ego mind. Yes. So bringing them back together. So on that note, uh, I can just share a little trick if you would like that I use a lot. My trauma coach taught me this, Greg Struve, amazing somatic experiencing coach out of Arizona. And um, when I first started seeing him, my awareness was so disconnected still. It was better than it had been, but now looking back, I'm like, wow, I was still so disconnected. But um, he'll, uh, the first exercise he ever taught me was to think about how whatever my toes are touching feel. Now, if you don't have anything on your toes, you could just think about the air touching your toes but like I tend to have cold feet so right now I'm noticing that my left foot is cold but because I was sitting on my legs my right foot is warm and then I have socks on so I'm noticing the texture of the socks on my toes and then you can even like wiggle your toes and feel the way that they feel next to each other or the texture of the floor if they're on the floor and the pressure on your toes and if you do that kind of an exercise um it's something that's hard to do consciously at first, but if you continue to do these types of exercises and there's tons of them and you can take them into meetings with you and you can use them when you're in the grocery line or when you're on hold and you are teaching your body to come back together, come back together, come back together to your mind. And the nervous system then is able to say, and you'll notice typically if you do this for a minute, uh, you'll start to take a little breath or maybe your nose will run a little or your eyes. Or like or if yeah. you're talking about, yes. And it's so cool. Now when I have those things happen, I'm like, oh, I was apparently was a little amped up. I'm going to take a moment and calm down. And even as I was talking to you a few times, I had put my hands on the table to feel the coolness of the table, just to remember to stay present because I can really get passionate about all this. And then I become single-minded and maybe say things that I tend to be, notice I'm using ex- uh, exclusive instead of inclusive language which is what I was taught growing up right so that's whole thing it teaches you how to just be here more be what you've learned be the best you and so thank you beautiful I love that I yeah just noticing the toes and something that brought up for me um is noticing those subtle feelings of the way that maybe there I can feel the socks on my feet or I can feel the way that 
my hair touches my ear. Um, it, when I was younger, I could feel everything, everything. The seams that ran across the top of my toes on my socks would just drive me nuts. <laughs> if there were tags in my shirt or <laughs> like, I didn't like any kind of pants that were rough. I wanted to live in like spandex leggings that felt like second skin, but weren't too tight. If, if there were creases in my bed sheets, I would just like, I can, I can like, I can get, get back into it. I'm kind of feeling my skin. <laughs> um, and because I could feel everything and so many other things that happen in life, shut down, just shut down and living up here you know so for me it's really easy to get up here especially when I'm passionate about mm -hmm. something thinking about it mm -hmm. to forget like you said what's going on in the body and to remember like oh I have toes I have toes and it's safe to feel my toes and if there is you know a little tag in my shirt like it doesn't have to get to me as much mm -hmm. it's that's been for me such a a journey of like coming back home to my body in a way that is like more balanced and safe. Mm. And I don't mm. know, did, did you have any experience with hypersensitivity? I know a lot of people who experience um, autoimmune disease and, and whatnot, or grew up in turbulent environments have sort of, uh, uh, what is it? are classified as highly sensitive people or will say, Oh, I'm very empathic, which I believe we're all <laughs> empaths. I don't want to get started on this. I think <laughs> you know that you are an empath and the world is taking you over. It's a sign there's trauma work to do. Uh, my sentiments exactly on that. I found the word empath back in maybe 2014 or 15. And yes, uh, in fact, at the Arizona Trauma Institute, one of the teachers there and another uh, woman um, that I found on Instagram always say, uh, there, there's uh, something, one of them says there's no such thing as impasse. We all have this, but I, I don't like that phraseology, but basically they're saying uh, you're simply, your nervous system's through the roof and you're sensing everything because we also have these things called mere neurons, which I learned about back in 2016 that blew my mind. And you're recognizing the most subtle facial features and uh, pheromones and uh, movement of the body, the way someone's holding. I mean, you are noticing this on a level that's of insanity. And it's, it's you not know, even up here, the body, literally like your body, your yeah. neuroception, right? Like the inner sides yes. are processing all of this. Yes, it's seeing it as a threat and you're like, oh, shut down. And then that's where usually before shutdown comes extremely, right before my suicidal ideation back in 2000, I still don't know what the date was. Interestingly, I never wrote that date down, but my, my final crash uh, that really led me to this path five years ago was um, to the point where I could feel the, I mean, people out 20, 30, 40 feet away from me, I could feel their moves. It was insanity. And I was just at the point, I couldn't take it anymore. My body was just done. 
And I mean, I felt like the whole world, I got driving, I could feel all the people around me, the angry ones and the, and, and the scared ones. And I mean, I'd be like crying as I drove past some old grandma who was like terrified driving down the highway. And then I'd be raging two minutes later. I mean, it was just, my body was exploding with awareness of all the dangers and all the fear and everything around me. And, and finally, yeah, like you said, shutdown, it, 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 it can't take it anymore. We're physically we can only be stretched so far. There are physical limits to our emotional and mental capacities. They're physical. They're originating in this physical being that allows the expression of our experience. So yeah, it's so important on so many levels to honor and regain that connection to self because when we do we call it trauma releasing for a reason as well, right? It releases so much grief, shame, anger, fear, all those negatives can flow through. And in that place can come a beingness. Yeah. Because yes, there is joy. I do talk about finding joy, but I'm not joyful every day, all day long. I'm, I'm joyful when I'm intentional. And then that sort of, um, you could think of it like filling up a cup every morning, you know, it's that joyfulness practice. And then taking that with me through the day and then renewing it each morning. But it helps you to stay even, you know, it helps you to just maintain a beautiful balance um, when your nervous system can, for the majority of the time, stay calm and you know how to bring it back. And you know, when you're going into a situation that usually traumatizes you or reacts, you know, your system reacts and you can solve it like a puzzle and intentionally do that and, and own it and feel powerful and no longer feel like the world is taking over and know where to find your resources and know how it's, it's a beautiful experience when we regain that power over what we used to think was some, something maybe that happened to us, you know, oh, I'm highly sensitive and I just, I just can't control it. Mm-hmm. that's it's not ownership can. it's not taking that responsibility it's not empowerment it's still something having power over us I think and yeah. what you said about uh trauma release I feel like that getting in touch with the body and letting ourselves feel it and and relating to it and then letting things flow through like that importance of letting yourself go to the bathroom when we have to go to the bathroom is letting something flow through and release when it's naturally occurring instead of damming it up. And ultimately we want everything to flow through the pain, the sadness, the grief. We don't want any of it stuck. And even the joy, joy has to have a place to flow through. And if the grief and the sadness and the anger and all of that if we block that and held on to it, the other stuff can't get through, which is why I'm a big believer that um, depression is just a lack of expression. And it can be really like getting to a point of expression is a journey. That's been my big journey. I and mean, that's what these raw combos are all about. Like I want to express, I want to express, and I want to express the real stuff, you know, um, not just what is acceptable because, or what's, currently culturally acceptable because I think in some ways everything that we need to express is acceptable in the right place in the right time with the right people like there are still I think practical considerations and 
an elements of safety to take into account. Like I'm not going to shout everything about my life and my intimate details out on a podcast or to just random strangers. Like I like Brene Brown says, like, you have to know that you're in the right place and trust and also trust <laughs> me, trust within myself that I can say something and someone else may try to weaponize it against me. If they do, you know, I think about this. Well, if they do, how would I feel? Will I be hurt by it? Because then there's something still in me that I haven't resolved in that space. And that is my responsibility. You know? mm, yes. The sharing appropriately too. And, and of course there's the level of like you're saying, we are in a world of so many different backgrounds, people coming together from so many different backgrounds, places and experiences. So when we honor ourselves, come into touch with that place and know what to share, when to share and become um, regulated, we can sense others in a healthy way where we're seeing them as, you know, maybe that person isn't at a space where me sharing this with them is gonna be, um, helpful to them at this time. Maybe I have been on this journey longer. Maybe I'm a little bit more mature in a, not in a condescending way, but in a way of honoring their experience and what they're feeling in that moment and holding it. Right. Yes. Oh, wow. That, that is a place that I feel that I've been able to step into more. I mean, not to like toot my own horn, but no, you have, I, I love that about you. That's one of that I feel safe sharing with you because of that. Thank you. Thank you. Because I, I've been, and I, my family's accused me of this, that person who just points the finger and says, you need to change. This is a problem. Here's how you do it. And, you know, I'm, I've been right. Just like the little kid that I was when I looked at my parents and I was like, I don't know if I use the F word, but I was like, you guys are fucked up. You know, like I could see that. Like my mom said, she was leaving my dad. I was like, well, it's about time you know, because clearly there's something wrong and I, my body and everything's been screaming it, but I continued that pattern of using the sensitivity of using what I could see to like analyze the outside world. And, and now that I've been willing to turn the finger this way and figure it out here and see what I've learned now, there's more compassion on the other side. And even if I can kind of see what's going on, I don't judge it the same way or I try not to I mean I'm human and this is a journey you know there's there's, like you said spirals of of coming into these things but like it's really nice to see like oh this person's on the path and I remember that I've been in that place and I can look forward or I don't know I don't want to say forwards or backwards I can look at in another direction at someone where I feel like they've achieved something that I want and recognize that yearning and go, Oh, I've got some work to do. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just like be okay in that place either way is really a, 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 it's a new feeling and it feels good. That is, that is the, the experience of the regulated nervous system, right? Right. And, and I want to, I want to take a moment to describe what I can feel in my body, even just as I'm saying that. And it's very much just this like heaviness in my pelvis. That is a pleasant heaviness, not a disconnected heaviness. Like there's a liveness, but it's like rooted. I can feel my butt in the chair. I can feel my breath flowing easily. I'm not like 
overly amped up about it. You know, I'm not saying I can do this. And, you know, there's a different energy to that that is protective, I feel like. And I don't, I don't know how I'm reading, but that's what I feel. So like this feels good. And I also recognize that sometimes even what I think I'm feeling isn't what I'm giving off. And it's like, I'm okay with that. (laughs) You know? And and we're gonna, yeah, yeah. And it's like I was saying earlier where, you know, when your nervous system's all through the roof, you can interpret, you know, and for me, you know, let's say that little old lady driving down the road terrified. Well, the part I didn't see was the courage she had and the determination to get out there and go wherever she needed to go. You know, like I didn't sense that part because my nervous system was searching for threat. So it found it. And, you know, I wasn't searching for the part where, you know, the person speeding past and some maniacal rate of speed was desperately trying to get to, I don't know, a hospital or a class where the professor is horribly awful about attendance and they're going to flunk you if you don't show up or something like that, right? Like we see it, we interpret others' emotions through our nervous system. So when our nervous system is seeking threat, it's going to find it. It's not going to go to the logical reason behind it. It's not going to go to the place like for now, if I, now, you know, you can be in a place of where you're searching for it and you see it and you're not searching for it for, oh, I'm afraid it's, how can I either potentially be helpful if I'm feeling it's the right time, place, space, and I'm the right person, or maybe move out of their way. You know, now I notice people speeding up from coming from behind me because I'm in a place where I'm checking the mirrors and I'm looking behind me. I'm not thinking all the time about, I got to get this, I got to get this done, I got to do that, I got to, ah, or putting my makeup on because I used to be one of those people because I was always late. Why was I always late? There was a root cause for that. But, you know, it's, it, and now it's like, well, I'm going to move over two lanes to let this person go. I don't need to become invested in this outcome I have no control none over this person yeah except to move out of the way and maybe be an example to some other people to move out of the way yeah you don't let them have their experience without stepping into their story getting roped into their story of oh this person's coming up on me I'm gonna speed up or I'm gonna do this like I'm doing my thing you do your thing you know and yeah so um I do want to start winding us down because nature's calling and (laughs) before my next thing, but there are so many things. I I appreciate this conversation everywhere it's taken us. And there are also some things that we didn't get to touch on that I was hoping we would. Um, And part two. (laughs) Yes. We're definitely going to do a part two. Um, I do want to bring a couple of those things in at the, at the end here though. And that is um, we didn't really introduce you. (laughs) (laughs) so let's do that so and I I also want to talk about um in this introduction how we met and what it is that you do and what you're offering for you know anyone who wants to learn more about um trauma recovery and how you help through your trauma so um I want to say we met two years ago now right? It has been. It has been two years, I believe. And I don't even quite remember how it came about. I know that we were in Quinn's Kelly Club. And that's, I think, where we tangentially connected. And then we had a phone conversation. 
And I don't yeah, remember yeah. who motivated the phone conversation other than like, let's get to know each other. I don't know either. Oh my gosh. Um, but I remember I knowing on the phone uh-huh. and talking and it just unfolding that we're from the same place, which is wild. Like it's one of those things, like you said, like these things show up and it, like the world works in weird ways. Like not only are we from the same place, but like these similar yeah. interests, um, yeah. similar growing up, similar family. I mean, we're actually from the same, literally we grew up less than what, probably less than 10 miles. Cause miles isn't that big. It had to be yeah. less than 10 miles apart from each other. And that's where my, my mom grew up there. I mean, it's wild, but yeah, I don't know what perpetuated the phone conversation either. Maybe it was on Instagram, the Slack line, something like that. But yeah, we had that awesome conversation. I think you're right. And, it was Slack line maybe. And we had just- but I met you here. I mean, I in San Diego, cause I've been visiting San Diego for over a year and a half now. And yeah, it was wild. And then we knew each other for a while, I think, before we even knew we were from the same town. Yeah, we were connected on Instagram and and all of that for a little bit. That conversation was like, whoa, you are kidding me. Like, how wild. And then uh, we met at a Slackline thing. That was the first time you came to one of my workshops. Sorry, those sirens. It's going to be great for the audio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was wild. And then... Uh, from there, I mean, I, you're one of those people that I think I feel that I've known for a very long time. And it's just been an easy communication relationship since we met. I think we communicate similarly, directly, and um, shared experiences always help. But also just I appreciate so much your the depth that you bring and the different perspectives that you honor in your conversations. I, I admire that. And I, I strive towards that because I tend in myself to see me being very passionate and one-minded about things, which I know as a visionary, you, you do need to be that way, but I appreciate what you do for me and our relationship to bring me back to reminding me um, intentionally or not. Sometimes I know it's intentionally, which I'm always, I treasure that because Apparently I have a strong personality that makes people uh, tend to not want to do that with me. And so to have someone who does that is great. <laughs> Just so you know, I don't perceive you as having a personality that makes me, I mean, obviously I, I wouldn't because I do it, you know, like I, and I don't, I, it's just easy to relate with you yeah. and talk and communicate. Yes. So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on our relationship as I feel a little like, <laughs> Well, I think I've, I've met a lot of different people and I'm starting to meet, we attract two into our lives, right? People who we're ready for. And many times in the past, I think I was in a space of wanting to control and be in charge. And so I attracted people who tended to be more timid or more um, in that space. And then I would tend to be myself as time went on and I became comfortable and there being themselves and our communication styles are different. And I, I had this, um, I don't like to call it an issue because I do consider it a strength, what I have, but learning to modulate it. And like we said earlier, having the right time, space, place, and, and person to be sharing with, um, I tended to just do it wherever in the past. And so in workplaces, that was an issue. I would make people feel intimidated. Well, this needs to get done and I know how to do it. And I'm right. And I know I'm right. And so does the boss, but that doesn't Same. work. Same. <laughs> It, it hurts people's feelings. And, you know, I always say I have like this list of apologies about 10 miles long that I'd eventually like to get to, you know, I've started on that journey and 
you know, some people I will, some people don't, I don't need to contact again for that. But, but there are some people who I know that I unintentionally have hurt. And um, because of that, so you are a person who I feel I can be very much myself and all, like my whole self, which is cool. I can be the sensitive side of me, the compassionate side of me, the passionate side of me and the direct side of me. And you're just like, yeah, Adrian's Adrian. And I love that. And I, again, bringing it back to my passion, I do think that is a sign of someone who does have a, a controlled nervous system because we can take someone for everything they are when you know and I mean we have to put that in perspective if you're you're living with someone or whatnot that can change it but in friendships especially or workplace relationships when you're in a regulated nervous system you can handle things pretty well you can roll with it and be like yeah that person's who they are and then you can see the aspects that they bring and how cool it is and what work they achieve because of it and it's really awesome so yeah for you I love that you have the directness to ask the questions and point out the things and, and do this podcast. You know, I consider myself vulnerable, but my God, I listen to your episodes and I'm like, Oh, vulnerability on steroids. Oh, <laughs> and I love you. it. I, I feel like I just have to do it. You know, I was thinking about the podcast today. I'm like, I just like threw on this sweatshirt and like, you know, showed up for it. I'm like, this is the raw conversation. This is what I want to do. You know, it doesn't, it's just about the expression and showing up. And I want to say, you know, I didn't really even know about nervous system stuff until this last like year and a half. And uh, it was uh, Smart Body, Smart Mind. I started with Irene Lyon last March that really changed things. And I've been diving into it. And it's been a journey. And it's been really beautiful like what I see in myself that I think maybe is part of what you're seeing is knowing when I can show up and when I need to take care of myself instead of showing up like, Oh, you know, I think we, I've rescheduled on you many times and I would feel bad about that at some point, you know, in my life, I would have been too afraid to reschedule. I would have kept a commitment. Um, just because I was supposed to, but I've asked, can we do something a little later because I have these needs to be met or I'm sorry, I can't, I can't make it today. Is that okay? And hoping that you'll be okay with it. Trusting actually, I've learned to trust that if I need to adjust, it's probably going to work for the other person and to also just own it. And like, let you know, like I'm just not in a place right now because if I try to show up for someone else or interact with someone else when I'm not in the place for it it's like setting myself up for failure and it's there's like a balance between always always putting things off and brushing it off and <laughs> learning to okay well I'm supposed to do this thing how can I center myself and then show up for it you know <laughs> And the difference between resisting and avoiding something that you need to do versus taking and honoring time for you when you have something going on, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and how does that, you know, just recognizing how that part of me reflects in, in all of my relationships. And so th I thank you for being the type of friend who can uh, accept me as a, as a person. And, you know, so still honor me even if I haven't responded to your text for two days <laughs> like I'm working on you know <laughs> and and uh, I can have the faith in you because I see you doing the work because this is an area that's triggering for me in relationships and friendships in the past 
where when people don't show up, I would tend to just be like, all right, they let me down again. They don't do what they say they're going to do. And so now being able to take the time to see, uh, you know, it's in the communication and the intention behind it. And so you being true to what is happening, I have faith that you are doing what you need to do, putting your boundaries and you're not, you're not, Oh, I don't feel like doing this today. It's not that right. It's, and I feel like that that's part of the corporate culture. I, I know when I was really sick, there were some times where I called off or had to go do something very important and was treated horribly at work because of taking that time. And I think that that part of that comes to that old trigger, right? That old story yeah. that I'm going to be treated uh, with distrust and disbelief when I ask for what I need because our culture, especially in corporate and especially in sales, which I was in for a while. And especially for women, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like just so needy and oh, your cycle. The kids are always sick. Yeah. The kids are always sick and yeah, get over it. Maybe this is why women shouldn't be in work. My, my sister goes through that a lot. Um, because how dare you be a female and have time to take, ba- take time off to have a baby or breastfeed or any of those other things like called being human and be a doctor. How dare you, you know? Um, so it's, it's so fascinating, but on a smaller scale, it's, it's still very prevalent in the medical field. Yeah. Um, on a smaller scale, I've encountered that so many places. So this is us teaching the world how to do this. And yeah. um, I keep saying it is possible and it will change. Corporate America will never be the same again after this. Too many people have learned how to honor their bodies, their souls and their experiences this last year for it to ever look the same again. And the funny thing is, I've been saying that since before the pandemic. And so me also. <laughs> you know, I, I consider myself and like even more so literally now, I'm like a canary in the coal mine. I'm like, this, this, what happened to me is what happens when we're constantly yes. exposed to these chemicals, this toxic stress, all of this stuff. And when I was working in corporate, I was looking around and my boss was saying, I just don't know why our employees aren't as creative as they used to be. And they just aren't as enthusiastic and passionate. And like, well, because you shame them because you treat them like a cog in a machine instead of valuing their contributions and giving them the space to fail. You're expecting perfection. You know, this was even before I had read Brene Brown's, the gifts of imperfection. I'm Mm -hmm. telling him this. And this was like, eight years ago, nine years ago now. And I advocated for a lot of things to change, to help people feel valued. And it, there was just so much resistance. I'm like, you guys are going to see turnover skyrocket. <laughs> I'm out of here. You know, but nobody wanted to listen to me. No, no, <laughs> they're, gonna, no. they're listening now. I think they're yeah. listening. Things are changing. So it's, it's Mary in a coal mine. I love that. Yes. Because you know, I don't have the best genetics and I did have a crazy life of stress. And guess what? The weakest of us will show the health of the system as a whole. Yeah. And it's interesting because even in religion, so many religions preach that how you treat the least of these is what you really have inside your heart. Um, And so, yes, I embrace being that, you know, like I said earlier, where, and it's also an example of not lying down and whining about it for the rest of my life. I know people who do that and I have family members who are still doing that. And it's like, I will no, no, thank you. I'll, I'm going to process this grief, this anger, this frustration, this hurt, and I'm going to get the heck over it. And then I'm going to take my story out here 
and I'm going to share it off the mountaintops. And yes, thank you for being a, a great example. My, you know, family member, person who hurt me, boss, whatever it was. It's like, thank you guys. Look what you've done. You're changing the world. So, yeah, well, they, they've given us the opportunity you know, you said like, it's the weakest. And yeah, in some ways we were weak in relationship to the things that happened around us and the way that we took it in. But then what we've done with it, you know, and this is something that I'm really coming to terms with and figuring out how I feel about it. Like I wrote a post recently about my therapist saying how resilient I am. And I was like, just tears because oh yeah so and in the way other people look at me like I had a friend say like oh if you were back in the day you could have rolled with me like in the streets of LA because I don't hang out with weak people you know and I'm like oh so I'm also the strongest and I wouldn't have been the strongest necessarily without the weakest like you young and the, the, and the deeper, the deeper it goes, the higher it goes. And that's yes. the, so many, I, I, it drives me nuts. The love and light people who are all about ascension, 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 but I'm like, no expansion. <laughs> yes. And it's the transmutation or the transformation. That's what I, like I was saying earlier, right? You take a horrible and you mold it and shape it yeah. and flow with it and it becomes this incredibly beautiful thing and then yes the, how you treat the least of us so to speak and not religious and I, I'm not a um, proponent of organized religion because of the exclusive practices that many of them do have in small ways and big ways depending on the religion but I am very much into spirituality and finding you know that higher power and connecting and communicating and making a spiritual practice a part of your life but so many people's religions do teach them about how we treat the least of us and I feel like it's almost like a, um, a recycling program or an example like a spiral galaxy right it's like we're all going to take our turn at some point, somehow, some way, some shape, some form. Like I said, we're going to get that pain on the front end or the back end. How are we going to transmute that experience into something beautiful and teach people? Um, this, like I was talking about earlier, systems, we can show it's like process improvement and project management. You look for the bottlenecks, you look for the parts that are stuck and you go fix them. So together, that's what we're doing. We're, we're looking for the places that need smoothed out or taken apart and rebuilt. You know? I love how you explain that. And I, I think that way too, and didn't really real, I wouldn't have related it to the things you related to, even though, I mean, I could dissect my corporate time and the things that I was involved in and the things that I did. And it's very aligned. But now I think of that in terms of like, energy flow and I often picture water or myself on the slack line and feeling into that and it's just like yes yes we're clearing we're clearing a system or a we're clearing a pathway and putting a system in place that structures that pathway so again okay we could talk <laughs> for real we're gonna do for real into <laughs> how do who do you work with how do you help with help people do this and where can people find you 
All right, so I'll make this short, sweet, and easy because that's what I do. That's what I try to strive. For. That's what I strive for, and that's what I create in the world. Ease for people who've been through abuse, who are looking to have that full life, who believe that the life that they dreamed of is still waiting for them, and they're ready to transform into the person who's ready to accept that life and pass it on. And so uh, I am a visionary for a trauma-informed future, and I do that a few different ways through the Trauma Recovery Academy, which launches on February 28th. It is a groundbreaking new program that takes my project management and process improvement background and overlays that and many of the classes that I've taken into a program um, and my experiences. And it, it shows you the how in a variety of different aspects of life that really affect trauma survivors, such as, um, well, we're going to talk about uh, having sex again after being raped or sexually abused. We're going to talk about being at work and how do you handle emotional outbursts when you're feeling frustrated or emotional shutdowns. We're going to be talking about um, how do we stand up for ourselves in our legal system when we're going through that legal system, those types of aspects. So especially for the woman who's been abused is either in court or has been through court or still has to go through court um, and has children as well who have been through trauma because of you know what you're going through or because of, you know in my, our case, I was abused and then my abuser abused my daughter. And so that's who I help in the Trauma Recovery Academy. And then I take it, I, I, I'm a visionary for a trauma-informed future. So I want to tell, tell the world about this. So I recently gave my first TEDx in Los Angeles at TEDx Bellthorn Women. Shout out to Raina and all the beautiful ladies who have participated in that amazing TEDx over the past three years. And you can see that TEDx. Uh, you can visit me on my LinkedIn, my Instagram, my Facebook. My YouTube, it's all easy under Adrian Ruan because we're keeping it simple here, people. <laughs> Most of the people who follow me or who work with me have PTSD or PTSD-like symptoms and specifically complex PTSD, which isn't in our diagnostics and statistics manual, but it addresses women who've been through long-term abuse and had most likely childhood abuse in some way, shape or form as well. And um, also a lot of people who I help, a lot of the women I work with have autoimmune conditions or uh, have been diagnosed or have symptoms of and are striving to find uh, what is going on with their bodies. I also talk about health and how to be an advocate for yourself in our Trauma Recovery Academy. And then my daughter and I are in a documentary coming out hopefully this year, COVID's delayed it, but it's um, a mini series called Scars Unseen. And that trailer is available also on my Instagram, my LinkedIn, all that good stuff. Uh, and it'll be out, it's by uh, SheTV Media are the creators and directors and producers of that out of LA as well. Shout out Meredith and Natalie. And uh, my website is adrianruan.com. So basically if you Google Adrian Ruan, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll have your name and how it's spelled and I'll include these links in awesome. the YouTube and in the show notes so they can, so people can find you. And I hope, I hope that people listening will, um, and share it because what you're doing for women is so, so, so important and for people, for people, right. But like women specifically being, you know, your, your people, the people that you are passionate about helping most women and children. Um, it's so important, big things. Um, thank I just, you, I thank you Rachel. Love, 
that you are putting yourself out there and bringing this to the world and your TED talk was fantastic and uh, you've got me dreaming of the day that I take the the TED stage Um, (laughs) you inspire me lots and lots Um, and we've went two hours I that flew by I know it did totally so we'll be doing another one of these um, (laughs) for sure and we'll we'll talk soon I hope you have a beautiful day Adrian thank you Rachel this was an honor I'm so grateful for your time and I hope you have an amazing day as well all right love you lady bye love you lady bye